Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa. And uh, today I'm recording from our studio uh, live. And I have two special guests. So if you're not watching us on YouTube, you should watch us on YouTube. But if you're listening on op- on uh, iTunes, that's great. You'll know that we have three three people in here today, including myself. Um, and we have Pat Sullivan, who is the co-founder and executive chair of Private Advisor Group. And we also have Frank Smith, who's the CEO of Private Advisor Group. And for those of you that don't know, Private Advisor Group is the largest uh, OSJ enterprise company um, on the LPL platform. They spend a lot of time today with, with uh, my consultants, uh, really just talking about the firm and why we should be considering them for our clients and talking about value proposition. And so I asked them to be part of a podcast today to really get into uh, who they are, what they're all about, some some exciting things that took place um, about a year or two ago that they're really excited about for the future of Private Advisor Group and the advisors that are either at the firm or considering joining the firm. So so with that said, I guess I'll I'll introduce, uh, so Pat first, welcome to the show. How are you, how you doing, guys? Doing great, Frank. Thanks for having us. Awesome. And, and Frank. The other Frank. The other Frank. <laughs> right. So they have two Franks <laughs> on the show. So um, listen, as, as we all know, and if you're a first time listener to the, to the show, uh, you know that this is a casual uh, conversation, even though probably this is the first time this room has had three people in here with three jackets on, uh, normally <laughs> in a golf shirt or something, nice and casual. Uh, but we're going to have a nice, uh, a nice conversation today. So what I want to do is really just start with, uh, from, uh, from my listeners, you know, Maybe a little bit of a history because I think the history is unique. Because um, you know you started a long time, long time ago with one of your one of your partners, and it's really devolved to something really something unique in the business, one of the largest of your size. So maybe just give us some color on on the history of Private Advisor Group. Sure, I'll grab that one. So uh, yeah, we have been around a long time. So my business partner John Highland and I uh, started together over 25 years ago. So we actually are financial advisors. That's been our training. That's how we kind of brought up in the industry. We joined LPL uh, way back in 1997. Um, And we saw immediately that there was a need for a more professional branch manager uh, in the independent space. And so we dove into that. Uh, We've had tons of success and we're, you know, we're having a lot of fun along the way. But right now, as part of Private Advisor Group, we have 774 affiliated advisors, um, and we have you know 25 plus billion of assets in our RIA. We have custodial relationships with all the top custodians. We have a great relationship with LPL. We use them uh, for broker dealer for all of our advisors who choose a broker dealer affiliation. Um, LPL is also a great custodial option, but we have. Uh, Fidelity, Schwab, Pershing, uh, and you name it, we can provide that for advisors. So you said made an interesting point that when you started with LPL, they had 2,200 advisors total. Total. Right. Yeah, and now they have 22,000 yep. advisors. So yeah. you, you, along the way. And then, uh, and then Frank, when did, when did you yeah. come into the picture and 
And what is sort of what is your role there? Yeah, so uh, CEO, so overhead. Um, but I've <laughs> I've uh, I've known Private Advisor Group for what seventeen, yeah. eighteen years, a long time. And I, I spent thirteen years at LPL Financial, uh, so they were a client at one point. And we had all, always joked about me uh, joining Private Advisor Group, and we fast forward to twenty early twenty twenty one, and we were able to make that happen. And that was that was part of a really well thought out transition plan as, as Pat and John look to evolve the business into the private advisor group of the future, recognizing still there's a, a lot of elements of the past that we want to hang on to. So a uh, friend of the firm, a uh, friend of the family for a really long time, and now I'm, I'm fortunate to uh, lead, a, lead a group of very special people on behalf of a really, really cool advisor uh, community. Awesome. Yeah. Now, a couple of years ago, there was an announcement, um, and I and I knew him uh, for a short period of time when, when he was at Cetera. But uh, a couple of years ago, uh, RJ Moore came in. Yep. It depends. I'm not sure what, what his yep. Nick, what yeah, RJ, name he's yep. going to go RJ by Robert this Moore, year, right? Because yep. it changed, right? So what was what did that come about? And what is he doing for you for you guys? Yeah, so RJ, we've known for forever. So RJ uh, joined LPL back in 2009 um, as their CFO. Uh, so we became friendly with RJ then. Um, and uh, kept a friendship uh, along the way with him as he went on to CEO of Legal in General and then uh, Cetera. Um, and as uh, John and I were sitting here uh, looking at Private Advisor Group in that 2019, 2020 timeframe, you know, we believe that the independent financial advisor is sitting in the exact right spot in the industry. And then because we're supporting that advisor, we believe that we're sitting in the exact right spot in the industry. But maybe as two like sales guys, financial advisors, we might not be the right two to take this to the next level. So we started looking around for someone who could kind of bring the corporate side of things, but also still keep our culture and the way we kind of run things. Um, and again, we knew RJ for years and were able to kind of twist his arm, convince him to kind of come in and, and be part of the future of private advisor group. And really, he has transformed uh, the company. His first and best hire was uh, Frank Smith right here. So we his were, only his only hire. <laughs> we we're <Yes>. very, very <laughs> happy with that. But since RJ came on and Frank right behind them, we've doubled uh, our home office staff and really yeah. have added a lot of capabilities. So, yeah. And what's what's been great about that transition is um, we still have we've worked through the transition of the firm, which is something we talk to advisors about all the time is how to, how to have a thoughtful succession. And we've done that in a way where we still have a lot of the tribal knowledge and the culture of the co-founders with Pat and John, which is terrific. And a lot of the legacy team at private advice group, uh, you have the knowledge of an RJ Moore who, you know, we, we joke has forgotten more about this business than, than some of us will ever know. And now we've structured ourselves to really be equipped for the next 25 years. And so as, as advisors are looking at our firm, both existing and new, there's that peace of mind that we've already been through our succession. We, we, you know what private advisor group is going to look like for many, many years. So there's continuity in culture. There's continuity in um, how we operate the business uh, with this really quality mix of, of legacy and culture with maybe some new innovative and potentially evolving ways of how we approach this. So it's, it's a fortunate spot. I'll, I'll speak personally. It's a fortunate spot for me to be in as CEO where I, I, I have access to a very engaged team that helps coach shape and guide. And it's great for advisors who still have access to that because it's, 
it's part of their past, but they they're very excited about the direction going forward. Now, did did you uh, you know one of the questions I always ask people sort of like who are you, right? And and that's not a oh are you multi custody or are you whatever like like who are you? Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, I had admired about RJ. And again, I didn't know him all that well, but I knew people that worked with him, and um, and they um, it was like he's a night he's a great guy, and he's. It was like a cultural thing. It was yep. a values thing. And I know that you, Pat, you talk a lot about that stuff. So maybe talk a little bit about the, the culture and the values and the core, the core values of the firm, because it's not just about technology and just about the deal and all that other stuff. There's other things that go into becoming a great company, right? To, to be where you are today. Um, and, and actually, when I, I want to I bring you a follow-up question about as the founder, what is it like? Right? <laughs> One of the co-founders, what is it like in this sort of shift? And yeah, maybe it's maybe it's even better. And maybe I'll take some. I'll let I'll take Frank some, do the values, yeah. and I'll I'll yeah. take the. Yeah, so tell I'm me like, a little bit yeah. about that as a firm. Who are you? Yeah. So going going back in time, uh, when I first met Private Advice Group, and you'd see them at conferences, or you'd ga- engage with some of the advisors or the people. There was there was something very unique and special about the firm, and it was very much the people and and the culture that was created. That's sometimes a really tough thing to quantify. So what we were very disciplined in doing over the past couple of years is trying to quantify that in terms of our principles, our core principles, and how we operate and how we uh, make decisions in the business, but also our values, how we show up every day, and what do we want to be known as. To your point, Frank, outside of technology, outside of payout, and outside of some of the more tangible aspects. So when you look at the core principles, which is what we hold ourselves accountable to and how we make decisions, it's five things that we focus on. So it's growing and developing talent. As Pat pointed out, we've we've more than doubled the staff of our firm as we want to think ahead to what the future looks like. And we're we're developing some future leaders, which is very exciting for us. Uh, two, we want to deepen relationships with advisors. I think every every firm can say that, but we want to make sure that that's written down and we, we take action on that. The third is um, helping advisors grow. And, and that's defined differently for every advisor, and that's okay. And that's we, we love that that aspect of our business where we can do that uniquely and not in a prescriptive or an over-standardized over way. The the fourth is sustaining the integrity of the business, and that's that's a big one for us in in how we make decisions. If it puts us an advisor a relationship at unnecessary risk, whether it's regulatory risk, financial risk, reputation risk, we're we're just going to say no. And and sometimes we say no, and that uh, impairs growth or economics, and and that's okay. And and we just we hold ourselves uh, accountable to that. The fifth, which is really the core of one of the core. Uh, uh, principles of how we we would define the value of private advisor group is the concept of nurturing community, and that's we define that in four ways. It's our relationship with advisors, which is community oriented. It's their relationship with advi- with other advisors in the private advisor group network. So you, you could all you could view them all as competitors technically, but it's cool how they view them all they, themselves as peers. Right? They right. want to learn from each other, they want to engage with each other, and they want each other to be successful. It's our relationship with sponsors and key partners. Pat uh, mentioned a few of them that we, in order to pull this off, we have to have great relationships and they're part of our community. And then it's enabling advisors to have either time back or resources to invest in their local communities. And we're very supportive of that. Uh, Very philanthropic. 
topic as a firm as well and, and how we view community. Uh, John, our other co-founder, is uh, chair of Invest in Others as an example. So it's, it's very important to our firm. And all of that is when, when, when then you apply that to values, we want to have fun. We want to enjoy being in this business. It's a great profession to be in. We're not going to introduce unnecessary drama in our firm, whether it's internally or externally. Um, we value humor. We so value you're not just going to recruit just to and, recruit for yeah, another headcount. No, drive headcount, drive headcount, drive headcount. It's got to be a good fit. And they have to see, you know, you don't have to necessarily like everybody, but it has to be, uh, they have to appreciate the culture and they have to appreciate appreciate with, uh, you know, the, the walls in which we operate in with inside of our core principles. So and, we just we just had our uh, annual conference down in Charlotte. Yeah. And we had over 250 advisors, uh, home office staff, uh, uh, strategic partners. So we had 400 people. And it's just a great community. Everybody just having fun and, you know, just being there to support each other. So, and, and what's our joke? We, it's it's like a family reunion, but you don't have that much fun at a family reunion. Like <laughs> Everybody's got are. a little dysfunction in their family, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah, right? That's just right. a matter of the... the so so I'm going to talk about family for a second because um, this, this, this question is sort of specific to you only, but maybe, maybe people that are listening to this that were founders of their organizations, right, that are taking on the burden of all the growth and being the founder and maybe not necessarily letting go of certain things because they built it and it's their baby and all this other stuff. And so for you as a co-founder, bringing, bringing in RJ and right. And bringing in Frank and requires you to, to some degree, I think mm-hmm. uh, maybe to let go of some things. Right. And then maybe, or focus on maybe just the things that you like to do. Right. Cause yep. I know that in the, the few, the, the couple of times that we've been together, like you seem to be really having a good time, right? <laughs> right. Like yes. I've I've met with some other founders, and they're, you know they're not quite happy or smiling like <laughs> uh-huh. you are, just because uh-huh. they're dealing with whatever. But so, what was that like for you to decide to to really make a transition uh, to give give up some? Con- I'm not talking about the financial part of no, this. No, thing, no, right? it's, it's the control. emotional yeah. part, yeah. Of it, right? So, as a yeah. founder of an organization, like it's intriguing to me. Yeah. What's so, that like? Yeah, so it is. It's 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 hard because you know you're not invited to a meeting when you're like, wait, I, <laughs> I know I know a lot about that, right? Uh, but at the same time, when there's you know some lawsuit or something, you don't get that call either. So it's right. kind of happy, uh, happy day there. Um, it's been it's been to me, it's been two transitions really, right? Because uh, myself and John were running the firm, and then uh, RJ took over as CEO. So that was my trial of uh, you know moving out and. I know the business. I like it's in my blood. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I, I get to play, I get to work on the big rocks. So I get like, hey, you guys are working on, we launched an investment management uh, uh, service for advisors. I got to play in that one because it was really, it's core to me. I know what advisors are looking for. Uh, I know what I would look for as an advisor. So that's fun. Uh, business development. I love that stuff. So I'm involved there. Um, so again, I, I take the technology, the, the recruiting, the things that are fun, and then I get involved. I still keep my hand in the compliance stuff because I think it's important because I, I know the advisors and I know what we're all trying to achieve. But it, there, it is a little difficult. But, you know, Frank allows me to still go on stage at the annual <laughs> conference. And, um, but we have fun. Uh, um, we were out late at night before the, uh, the de- next day when we had to get up for the conference. We're out. There's a great band. We're out having fun on the dance floor. And I turned to John and I said, our presentations at 8 a.m. would be a lot better if we weren't out till 2 a.m. And John said, 
We'll never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So I'm involved as much as I want to be and having a great time. But I have a great team who, yeah. the, the power to me of private advisor group was always that it wasn't John's idea, Pat's idea. It was everybody's idea. Jim Perhax has been with us since 2001. My brother James has been with us since 2011. We bat ideas around, and now with this new crew of Frank and Donald and Kelly and every and Vern and everybody else, we have a, a great time. Yeah, awesome. It, what, what's cool is, um, well, what we've learned is that when you put Pat as optional on a meeting, he's going to show up to the meeting. <laughs> but it's which we love, which we love. But it's very rewarding that Pat can be optional to some of these. Things, yes, right. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's yeah. a yeah. Uh, right sign of confidence. Yeah, and I think for listeners, you mentioned the term uh, rocks. I, I don't want people to think that's an, in this context is a negative thing. Like it's no. boulders no. and that's a, like attraction EOS terminology. So rocks are like, you're really the most important things mm-hmm. to help grow the company. Yeah. So, so kudos, kudos to that. But yeah, and you're getting to do the things that you like to do and you're good at exactly, uh, yeah. which is yeah. awesome. So let's, let's shift for a minute and let's get into, um, what private advisor group is, right? So, okay. So we've, we've established that, you're an LPL OSJ and you said you have multi-custody, right? So let's just get into the weeds with exactly uh, what private advisor, private advisor group is as a company. And then we'll sort of mer- mer- you know, move into sort of like um, the par- some of the partnerships and some other things, all the cool things you, you have going on. So neither one of you can take that one. Yeah, so can I, I'll just um, do anything not, you want. Not to, you're correct guess. You, not to correct you, Frank. I think we've evolved. I know we've evolved from... Certainly, we started as an OSJ. Yeah, right. right? Uh, Morristown Financial Group was an OSJ. Uh, after forming the RAA and then expanding affiliation options, expanding um, the advisor optionality that they have available to them through different custodian relationships, different product relationships, we we consider ourselves more, less of an OSJ now. Certainly, serving in that function, more of a national financial services firm. So we are we are a an RAA, an independent RAA, and we we do have an incredible relationship with LPL as a broker-dealer. LPL is our primary custodian, at least in, in terms of assets currently, but other custodian relationships, other, other product relationships where we are serving in a, uh, a function that there are some intermediary services, but we are a core independent RAA uh, operation. And, and so, and that's, we know the term OSJ is yeah, used no, that's at good. That's industry level, but we right. just want to add some context to that. But I think if, if we were to uh, define us and I, uh, I'd love for Pat's uh, point of view in this too, we, we play a really critical role in this space in a, in a couple different ways. Um, one, just given our scales, Pat mentioned over 770 advisors and, and 25 years plus experience in this business. There's a certain amount of, um, and this is not us being braggadocious or patting ourselves on the back, there's a certain amount of credibility and scale that we've built that advisors see value in. And some of that credibility, scale, uh, value extends into how we've developed relationships with some of the key providers in the space, whether it be uh, broker-dealer partnerships, custodian partnerships, sponsor relations, technology relations. So Advisors can partner with us in a way that they're wildly independent, but still get access to all the big firm feel, but be part of a much smaller, more um, you know, like-minded community. So being a part of a community of 770 advisors, that might seem like a really big number, but that's much smaller when compared to literally tens of thousands of, of some of their alternatives. I'm not saying that either one is right or wrong. They're just, they're just different. So if an advisor values 
big firm resources and feel tapping into that scale, but they also very much value a smaller community. We play a really unique role there. The other role that we play is just in, in terms of execution and helping, helping advisors who need to solve for very unique things, whether it be multiple ways of affiliating with us or multiple custodian or product relationships, or just coming to us, uh, you know, with just some unique problems or not unique problems, some unique opportunities that have some nuance to it that we can solve for. We're a nimble organization that that doesn't have full standardization uh, across 770 advisors that allows us to help them problem solve for those things. We can't do it perfectly every time or we can't do it every time, but it's something that that um, part of our culture, part of our upbringing is we want to roll up our sleeves and help them with that, which they may not get if you lack scale. You may not get if you um, are one of tens of thousands of advisors also competing for that space. I don't know if you add No, to absolutely. That. But I, I would also say that we're, we're cutting edge too. Yeah. You know, so uh, the, um, the big rock I was working on last year, along with Frank, was our investment models that we came out with. And that part of that was direct indexing. So we believe that direct indexing is going to be core to advisors' portfolios for the next 30 years and that they should be looking at that and adopting that. So we made that. It was great because we didn't have an investment platform ready so we could start from scratch and then built around the, the technology and get all that. So we're we're looking ahead to what the advisor needs to have and then building that for them today so that they're, it's available to them. And it doesn't matter whether they're using LPL. You, you know, one of the things that you brought up and you mentioned this about um, some unique situations mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to, and I'm going to pivot a little bit and we're not going to make this about sort of international business as an opportunity. Right. right. But I do think that's one of the things that I learned today at our meeting um, is that you can actually handle clients or advisors that have international clients. Mm-hmm. Um, did, was that by accident? Was that something that came up from sort of dealing with a client issue. So you mentioned working with advisors that come up with unique situations and sometimes business lines um, are not, you know, sort of strategic and and smart choices by the, you know, by the co-founder sort of like, Oh shit, we have to solve this problem. How do we do it? And then it turns out to be an interesting business. Yeah. So most firms and most independent firms have no interest in that line of business. Right. So how did, how did that happen? Just, just again, we're not going to make this conversation. The, the thing that we find that, that we can provide to advisors is that, so there's 774 advisors. We learned something from each one of their pieces of business, right? So if this advisor needs international capabilities, we'll learn it. And then we have it for everybody else. Um, another great example is there's a, 403B advisory option through Fidelity that you can use in universities. So we, we found that out years ago and then we we're able to roll that into other, you know, other, um, you know, uh, other advisors who want to be in that market. And other great things is, you know, we, we've had a bunch of advisors in the last couple of years who already had their, uh, RIA advisory business at, at a custodian like Fidelity and they wanted to leave their existing RIA firm. It was the simplest transition. We have a, a dedicated team to help them, but we learn how to do it. Boom. We can knock out those hundred million dollars and move it from that RIA over to our private advisor group RIA in, you know, in no time at all. So the learnings we get from each advisor apply across uh, everybody else. So, all right. So Frank, you talked about, and then I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get into sort of the, uh, a relationship that you were talking about relationships mm-hmm. and, and um, new business partnerships. Um, and one, there's one relationship that probably is paramount to, to the growth of the firm right now uh, that you formed in, in 2021. Yep. Um, and but but I want to get into uh, before I go into that, 
Pat, you're making a comment about something uh, on the RIA space and, and rolling in. I think that's something that most people don't know about private advisor group, that there's this opportunity, which I think is a massive opportunity right now to, to help smaller RIAs mm-hmm. that are with Schwab or Fidelity or whoever, yeah. that are looking for an alternative solution to what's happening to their businesses mm-hmm. with the SEC becoming uh, more onerous. And, and you, you gave some examples of one was an unfortunate situation yeah. where the owners sort of uh, got caught blindsided, which is an issue that I, I talk about. And that is we are all, and you were an advisor, I don't know if you were an advisor, but you were mm-hmm. an advisor, I was an advisor, right? Like we're sales guys, right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, a lot of these RIAs, which I call RIA by accident, they're sales guys and they bring all these assets and all of a sudden they have a multi-billion dollar RIA and they don't know how they did it, right? And True. and then they and they pay somebody, they think that they can just pay somebody to go like, oh, run the business so I can go sell. But you had a situation where uh, the CCO of the company sort of did something wrong and the owners weren't aware and we don't need to get into it. But the fact of the matter is you were able to come in and solve that problem. So how did you solve that problem? Um, and you know, sort of, and, and why is the RIA opportunity so important right now? Yeah, so I'll 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 put that one in in um, a little bit broader context because we've uh, solved for a few to several recently and, and continue to have um, quite a few of those opportunities presented to us. So thematically, a few things that we're seeing. One is we we love because we're so passionate about independence, we completely understand, I mean, Pat did this, Pat and John did this, we understand an advisor, an independent advisor's mindset in wanting to form an independent practice or an RAA given what they're trying to do, the advice they're trying to give in their local communities. We, we totally understand why advisors do that. I think the challenge sometimes is, especially in this regulatory environment, especially with cyber and some other threats that maybe we didn't see years ago, uh, other elements of the cost of operation or the, um, you know, the, the relationships necessary to be competitive, you start adding all of that up. And if you're a smaller RIA, which you're doing incredible work in your community, it's missional work, we, we're totally aligned with the concept, you find yourself in a position where either you are caught blindsided, not intentionally, right? That's the concept of blindsided, or th- these are the jokes. Yeah, yeah. These are the... Uh, or you find yourself in a position where someone has completely out-invested uh, your, in, in their RA where you're, you're not even in a competitive position anymore and you're having a really hard time keeping up, or you haven't done what John and Pat did a few years ago, which is in a period of high growth and uh, running a good business and, and not in a period of duress, think through how do we, how do we create continuity in our firm continuity in our culture and equip us to be a generational wealth management firm for the next 25 years. So many RAs we find because the, the owner of the RA is wearing so many hats, just given the lack of scale, all of it, all of that's catching up to them eventually. And if it hasn't yet in a lot of cases, unfortunately it probably will. So thematically we're seeing a lot of RA owners come to the conclusion that either they don't have the right succession plan in place they don't have the ability to compete at a level they want to because they haven't been investing in the business or can't invest in the business or the regulatory environment or other pressures are catching up with them and they just don't they just don't know where to go we're an incredible source for them where they can keep their local identity 
they can most likely improve their economics. When you start thinking about the cost of all those things that we rattled off, including the cost of risk that's unknown, including the cost of not growing, which is sometimes unquantifiable, time, time, everything, we're able to give that back in a way where they maintain their identity, they maintain at or better usually economics, and now they have access to scale and community and resources that they otherwise wouldn't have had access to. So in essence, it's a have your cake and eat it too type scenario where you're still operating independent as you're accomplishing what you set out to accomplish to begin with, but you don't have to do that by being your own RIA. Right. And that's that's really, we're seeing a pretty significant trend in that direction. And fortunately, we're, we've built scale and, and as Pat Pat said, every one of these that we do, we learn from that, and we're able to replicate that to the next one, to the next one. We, we think there will be a snowball effect, and we're ready to help anyone that's, that's ready and to have that particular with those RIAs that are, you know, they're, they're coming to that realization that it's too much work to be doing it on their own and not to pay, pay off. We have a, a determined process of how to move them, what's the right way for their firm, what's the right way for our firm, and the process to make sure that that's, that's a very smooth landing from their own ADV to ours. Right. And, and Frank, to your point, and I've done the math and I've done the performance over and over and over again, most of the time, it, it, you know, if you're managing the business the right way, the economics can be just as good, mm-hmm. right? And even if they're not, if they're sl- let's say they're slightly a little bit lower, I try to get clients to look at that as an investment in back into themselves. Yeah. Right. What does that mean? Maybe maybe you, you don't want to work as hard, but maybe you want to spend more time with your family. You want yeah. to go on vacations. Well, yeah. what's that worth if it's $100,000 or $200,000 right. after taxes and all that other stuff yeah. and, you're, you know, and you're already making a, a ton of money? That could be meaningful to something else in your life. So, yeah. um, and, and the next question that they'll typically ask you, because those are all the benefits, right. the next question they'll ask you is, well, what am I giving up? Because if, if it's not right. mine anymore, and there's an ele- we get it, there's an element of pride associated with sure. that. Uh, that that we have to help them, we have to educate them to help them get past if they can. They're, they're not really giving anything up on the negative. Sure, our name might be in a disclosure, but they're not giving up their brand. They're not giving up identity. They're not giving up how they do business. It largely operates the same way. We're not going to come in and say, well, this is the private advisor group way of doing things and you got to stick our logo on the door. So they can still have, as I pointed out at the beginning, a lot of what they were originally setting out to do without a lot of give up. All right. <clears throat> so let's shift. So in 2021, you, you you formed a partnership and and it's sort of in line with this whole thing, right? Because in a way you, you sort of did something similar mm-hmm. to what we're talking about. And that is you formed a partnership with Merchant, which uh, many people know they're, you know, they're, they're taking minority stakes in, uh, in large enterprise firms, large, uh, you know, funded service firms like mm-hmm. yourself. I won't use the OSJ term, <laughs> um, but it makes sense. And, yep. and I, you know, it's everyone sort of. I feel bad term. for correcting you. That's <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sorry. My wife okay. doesn't. Everybody okay. corrects all right. me all the time, so it's fine. I'm used to my it. turn. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm used to it. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a minute because that is rarely interesting, and um, it, it it speaks to then sort of the growth of and where you where this whole thing is going, right? Because mm-hmm. um, there is, I, I believe, M and A. People talk about, oh my, is M and A slowing down? I don't see it slowing down mm-hmm. at all. Um, I think it's gonna, actually going to continue to accelerate, um, especially as on the, in, on the RIA side, as Schwab rolls up TD and these small, you know, sort of smaller billion dollar or less um, RIAs are having all these problems, mm-hmm. right? Um, but talk about, and either one of you can talk about this, your merchant relationship, how, why you formed it, so why you formed it, 
How is it going to be good for the financial advisors? And what does that mean for, for you all in the future? Yeah. Let, let me you start. start? Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. So um, just going back to the timeline, just to, so we're, you know, kind of reset there. So uh, we were able to convince RJ Moore to come in as our CEO, which was the end of 2020. And Frank joined in the beginning of 2021. Um, so we were in this kind of, uh, we identified gaps in the firm. We were filling those gaps. We were spending a lot of money on putting, you know, a talent in, into the firm. So when we were presented with a uh, merchant and we, we've known the guys for years, you know, we, we know them like them. We were reintroduced to them. Um, it was not the right time to, to do a deal. We, you know, it's silly. You know, you actually, you know, your earnings are less because you spent more money and you haven't, uh, you know, harvested that yet. Right. Right. Um, but you know, we, we were so compelled with the opportunity again, like them, uh, we thought they could bring a lot to us, uh, you know, from the financial profession, but also they had this advisor uh, alignment program um, that they can help us with. Um, and they are very different from a private equity firm. The private equity firms have a, a short timetable, invest the money, you got to get it back out in the next, you know, four or five, seven years. Uh, Merchant is long-term capital. They're sitting, you know, beside us for, you know, as our partner for a long term. So we were, again, looking at that at that time and said, not the right time as a firm, but we see the opportunity with them to be really transformative in this industry. Um, so we did take in a, a minority investment from Merchant, but none of the shareholders in Private Advisor Group sold at that time because we felt so uh, good about the future with them. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of things. It was working capital. Uh, we, we had an opportunity to, uh, to grow and to evolve into, um, some more full service features on the investment management side, certain technology components, certainly the people side of the business, uh, not just organic recruiting, which is, Prior to 2020, Pat, I don't think Private Advisor Group did really any M&A, uh, maybe one or two here and there. But, uh, it, you know, using them as a intellectual partner or intellectual capital partner, an actual capital partner, both on the uh, capital infusion into our balance sheet, but also on the debt side. They run two different sides of the business. And, and why is that important to advisors? I, I think what what it's offered us is access to really talented people who have worked in this space have worked in this profession and if you look at the the background and the track record of many of them they have they've grown and developed a lot of very meaningful firms and uh and now now they're in a position where they're able to invest in and help use that same insight and experience in very diverse backgrounds to help firms like ours think through what's the next evolution of private advisor group. Certainly not in a position to tell us how to do it or have expectations as to when they see value from that, but in a truly collaborative relationship where we're still operating, but they're coming alongside and uh, providing us some guidance. Um, it's also important as we think about M&A, as we think about, and, and you know this, how the recruiting landscape has evolved where more advisors are. You, you mean know, it's not dead, like James Gorman said? I don't think so at all. <laughs> right? It's just. It's, By the way, Jim, if you're listening to this, I'd love to have you on my podcast, and uh, we can debate that topic. <laughs> Let's. We have room for a fourth person in here, so we can. The um, independent financial advisor is sitting in the exact right yeah. spot in the industry. Yeah, that's where. I'm totally, sitting. and and it it takes capital to to keep up with the right. evolving recruiting landscape, the evolving M and A landscape, um, to fast forward some of the investments and 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 what we want as far as outcomes. 
outcomes of investments in our business. So they they serve a number of functions. If I were to sum that up, one is just a strategic in, thought partner, right? They just they they help us think through some of where we're going. Two is capital, um, and three is credit. And uh, and I, I would throw in a fourth there on this, and maybe this is a one B to the strategy component, as Pat pointed out helping us think through how do we better align through equity programs with advisors who are currently part of private advisor group or looking to become part of private advisor group in a way that um, aligns our interests. And and they brought an interesting model to the table as we were exploring capital partners. And, and I think we've uh, we've we've catapulted that from really good to what we believe to be industry leading, and and actually to the point where we've we've surpassed even our expectations yeah. of, of the success. Is that, of is that the um, advisor uh, the alignment program? It right. Is. So so yeah. why don't we so why don't we talk about that? And I think that the message here that that one it's not a it's not a PE firm. It's right? Not a PE firm. People are, are you yeah. know people are terrified of that. But I always think like like you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Pat, as you've grown your company over the years, you probably got to levels where you're like, shit, like, <laughs> how, how do, do we do get that? this big? <laughs> now what do I do? Right. And then you bring somebody else and you get up. Now what do I do? And so you bring in someone like Merchant and the team on Merchant and, and, and all of their resources. I would imagine uh, you were probably like, wow, I didn't think about that. Or that was a great idea. Like, yeah. um, and to them, it's, it's, it's sort of like you understanding how to how to run your business. You just know it. Right. right? Yeah. Yep. Like yep. it's like RJ, he's forgotten more than we all know. Right. Yeah. He just knows the stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're focused on, cause I think that people have this misnomer that if you bring in a partner like that, it's really negative and it's going to change the culture of the firm to the negative. And sometimes it does. And I've seen mm-hmm. when, when firms bring in the wrong partner, mm-hmm. they, you know, they get this, the thumb, right. You know, right. cut, 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 cut. Yep. You know, we have to hit a number. I don't really care. Um, so I guess with you, it's probably you got to see some things differently. But in terms of this uh, this uh, this new program, right? So maybe go into that a little bit because I believe that is a, a key component to the growth of your of your organization, and it's something that as we're talking to hundreds of uh, advisors around the country, they're looking for this. Like, hey, I I'm looking to be part of something. I don't want to give up my company. I'm not looking to sell right now, you know. But I want to be part of something. Uh, whether they talk about the multiple opportunity and, um, you know, they get into that thing. And so this is unique because it, it allows them to maintain their, their business. Well, you, you, you guys can explain it because I'll, I'll, I'll butcher I'll, it. I'll, yeah. I'll just start and then you can take it, Frank. But, you know, the, the, just in the landscape <laughs> alone, you know, the private equity firms, the PE firms have played well in this space for the last 10 years. And what they've done is they bought up the, the individual advisors, you know, at two and a half, three times their, their, you know, GDC, their multiple, uh, their revenue. Um, and then they package them together and then they sell it at 15 times EBITDA. And the, the advisor has done okay. Don't, don't, you know, you're two and a half, three times, you've done okay. Uh, but the PE firms have made all the money. Uh, and what we're doing here with Merchant is really we're cutting out the PE firm. You know, we are kind of sharing that multiple then. We're an institutional firm. We have a better multiple uh, than the advisor on their own. Um, but we only have an institutional multiple because of our advisors. So we want to share that multiple with our advisors and with the advisors who, who want to come join us. And the simple thing is, if an advisor, a million-dollar advisor, was to sell their practice today, they can get two and a half, three million. But with our program, they're going to get double that and still have a residual income at the end. So, you know, that we we are very excited about it being unique in the industry, 
top, the top, um, you know, it's really game changer. And that is a great place for advisor to run their practice, but be part of an institutional firm. Yeah. So I add a couple of things to that and, and not to pile on, but one more comment on the concept of PE money, money versus uh, other third parties, minority investors. It's important. We talked a little bit about um, our core principles and how we make decisions at the beginning. It's no different in how we invite new partners to to be part of private advisor group. So, you know, we, we ran merchant and anybody through that same filter of it has to be, you know, advisor first and advisor friendly and, and uh, certainly aligned with our values. So just to put that distinction out there that they're not immune to that. And that's a really, really fortunate place for us to be in. Um, and I, I think we've seen a ton of benefit from that. The other one of the core principles and how we approach this equity program that we can talk about is we don't want it to be disruptive for advisors. It has to be additive to them. Um, what we've recognized, and, and Pat touched on this with uh, maybe the, the more traditional way that this has been done in the past with other firms, what we recognize is that the advisor, the advisor relationship and the service we provide to them and, and the financial gain that we get from that, quite frankly, running a business, they're the primary contributors to our success. Now, we'd like to think that we're a contributor to their success too, right? So there's that mutual dependence or interdependence of, of that relationship, but they are the primary contributors to our success. We're in a unique position in the life cycle of our business that it's just very natural for us to think about monetization at some point in the future, right? And I think in articles and other things, we've been pretty public with that. Sure. So it's not, it's not new information, but it's what it's not is just as important as what it is and, and what it's not is something for people to be afraid of or to think that we're short timers in this business or somehow only seeking some valuation in the future and, and then we're going to shut the doors and it's going to become somebody else's it, that would completely be unaligned or, or misaligned with our values our way of making decisions and our desire for this to be a generational national leading financial services firm for 25 plus years to be able to do that to be able to accomplish that if we can align with advisors in a way that's meaningful to them and meaningful to us and we both win everybody wins we have to do it in a way that's not disruptive to their business what's disruptive to their business it would be requiring them to change the way they operate or change who they partner with or change custodian relationships or broker dealer relationships to us that's off the table that's that's non-negotiable that's a non-starter we believe that we can accomplish what we're looking to accomplish as a firm in a non-disruptive way so the program just to uh, talk through a few elements of that for existing advisors of private advisor group and for advisors, we talked to your team today, for advisors who are thinking about joining private advisor group, um, we will purchase a, a small percentage of their practice, call it a 10 to 20%. It really is advisor driven. It's up to them on uh, how much of that that uh, they want us to purchase. We'll give them a very competitive multiple in exchange for that purchase of revenue. And we're not purchasing clients, by the way. That's a very important distinction. We're purchasing, purchasing the revenue or the cash flow of their business. Are you purchasing their EBITDA or are you purchasing their, revenue. their gross revenue? revenue. Yep. I think that people get that confused yes. all the time. Yep. You, you yes. I call it above the line and below the line. Right. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're purchasing above the line. Right. So before local um, expenses. Th that, mm -hmm. Totally. Which we, we want them... Throughout all of this, we want them to stay motivated to have good expense management right. discipline and grow the business because that's 
that's what they do every day. We don't want that to change. So in addition to what we purchase, we also give them equity in a vehicle that we created. And just by saying we created a vehicle, it doesn't have to be complex. It's just a uh, more of a reporting entity or legal entity. And they then become equity participants or equity owners in this vehicle. So in the first year of rolling this out, we've had in incredible adoption of this with, uh, with advisors at Private Advisor Group and some now coming in from uh, the outside that are viewing this as an attractant to them wanting to solve for some specific success succession or liquidity needs as they plan in the future. Uh, so it's been a great recruiting tool, but um, they become equity participants in this, this entity. And uh, now they're motivated to grow because at some point in the future, when we seek some level of monetization, either partial or full, the advise, we give the advisors then as equity participants the opportunity to tag along another significant percentage of their practice to this program. That they at, haven't already sold. That's, right. that's correct. That's right. right. Now, the, and the benefit to, so a couple, couple important points there. One is we never want them in this structure, in this structure, there's other structures that we can accommodate that, but in this structure, we never want them to fully pledge their revenue because then we have a business that our entity would fully own with no advisor motivation attached to it because there's right. no cash flow. Um, but they have the ability to pledge a, a significant amount, let's call it up to 50% of their, their revenue between the two events into this mechanism. And we share in the majority of the value of that at our monetization. So called right? tag along. Yeah, the tag Correct. along. Right. Now, right. the distinction there, two two things. One, the reason that tag along is important versus a drag along, drag -along as an yeah. example. Right. So there, there are programs that exist out there that are 100% or some percentage of drag along. We decided not to do that intentionally because that puts us in a position where we're accountable to creating a non-disruptive monetization event for us and for advisors. Right. So if you think about it this way, if we if we if it was a drag along, They'd have no option whether or not they participate. They have to participate. And if we present them with something that is disruptive to their business, good for private advisor group, not good for the client, not good for the advisor. We're not interested in that. So by doing this as a tag along, we present the advisor with the opportunity. They can choose at what level they want to participate. If we put a bad opportunity in front of them, they're going to participate at a low level. The value of the deal goes down. Right. If we put a great opportunity in front of them, their participation goes up, the value of the deal goes up. So it's it, it keeps us, it's a check and balance to keep us in check, making sure that we're doing the right thing. The other interesting um, benefit, and, and we knew this going in, it's why we call it the alignment and equity program and not just an equity program or something transactional, is going back to that word of interdependence. It now puts us and advisors in a position where we're not just a vendor relationship to them. We're not just providing them RIA services so they don't have to. They're now very much invested in our success and vice versa. And that just completely changes the mindset of the relationship where they're still very much independent. They're still very much in control, but they want to do well by private advisor group. We want to continue to invest in them. They want to connect with their peer group who's also participating probably also, and help also them want, grow right, They probably also want you to bring on great teams Absolutely. that Absolutely. Go, into that, yep. go into that bucket yep. because they it drives go, the size yeah. up and Correct. potentially the valuation and their tag yep. along rights. Yep. They want to go buy practices now. They want to recruit to their practices now. They want to tell their friends about it now. So we, we've seen incredible adoption of this. And, and yes, that component is important to us. 100% is important to us. But what's been incredibly rewarding is just the relationship now we have with some of these advisors that has 
um, shifted to a point where we're having more meaningful conversations with them around the future of their practice, how they grow their practice, how they equip Gen 2 to take over the practice, things that may have been a little so bit of a struggle before. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a more interactive, engaged yeah. partner conversation versus, and in, 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 I'm going to say employee-employer relationship, yep. even though it's not, but mm-hmm. versus that kind of like, yeah. you know, hey, you should do this because it's better for me. Uh, this is more about how do we help you grow, right. sort of like what you're saying, like a good, the, the, what a good branch manager does. Yeah, exactly. You know, help yep. them grow yep. and solve yeah. their problems. Yeah, and we're not we're not putting Pat on a plane to go change their signage to private advisor group, or we're not telling them they have to do business a certain way. We're having conversations around the value of some of those decisions in the future, but it's it's still theirs. They're operating. They're they're still independent advisors, and um, it's so to us, it's a win win. And we're not rushing into this, Frank. Mm-hmm. Where this is a, a long-term plan. Yeah, that's so, my next question. Yeah, going back to uh, RJ when RJ joined us in, in 2020, took over. Uh, RJ again, financial background, incredible. So he moved us to uh, gap accrual audited finances for 2020. So we have 2020, 2021. We rolled out this program last year, so we have a half a year of 2022, and we'll do this through 2023, 2024. We're going to have five, maybe six years of full gap audited accrual finances. And that's what Wall Street talks. That's the language that they talk. So when we go to do a monetization event, you're going to see our revenue. And then they're going to see all these advisors and these advisors teams stacking up because we have done this the exact right way. There's contracts, there's uh, LLCs, there's everything done properly. So they can look through and see Frank's revenue and Pat's revenue and how that all rolls up Mm -hmm. into the mothership. And we're only going to go to market when it makes sense. And we're only going to do the right deal for advisors and for us and for the, for the firm, for private advisor group. I, I have family in the firm. I have two brothers who are part of the firm. My son's in the firm. I have a niece and a nephew. John has his son in the firm, my brother-in-law. So this is, we're doing this for the long term, not, not for a short term game. Yeah, that was my, my next question, which is, you know, this is great. And you're lining this all up and you're, Getting all the pieces in place and all the players in place, um, it's like getting ready for a you know a Super Bowl winning season, right? <laughs> right. So, what what does that future look like? If you look at your the vision of of private advisor group now, right, with all the pieces in place, uh, what does all this mean? So, what does it what does it mean to you? And what do you see in the future? Um, and then and then I want to go into sort of like what types of advisors should be thinking about you know joining. Uh, private advisor group uh, for all whatever reasons there are, but like, what is it that you're looking for? Who are the types of advisors that are most successful? So let's start with sort of vision from this point on. A peek into our strategy uh, for, and I'll call it a multi-year strategy because we're not, um, again, we're not short time. We're not a few years out. We're, we're multi-year. And, Even, I, and that's why I want to know that because yeah. I want people to understand, even though we talk, you know, you're talking about a, a, a monetization event here. Yep. This is not one of these because I've seen it where they this founders just say, yeah, you know, yeah. hey, I got a good deal, I'm out of here, nope. and the advisors are like, what right. do you mean, like we're, no. we're not we're not prepping for an exit, and I think that we we can't say that enough, right? Um, it, it we talk about the advisor life cycle, which this equity program solves for. They they all will face a succession or liquidity need at some point, and we're just in a unique opportunity where we're aligning our life cycle with that of the advisor. And as we stated before, recognizing their contribution to that. So we're giving them an opportunity to participate in it, which we, we get giddy about and pretty passionate about when we talk about it, because we, we do think it is a, uh, you know, more unique than those that we've seen or others that, that we've experienced. So 
As far as the future, so for the rest of 2023, and we've been very public with this with our advisors and, and with uh, some other member of the media, members of the media, because I think naturally in any sort of leadership transition, the question that we get a lot is, what happened? What's wrong? And what's the next big disruptive move you're going to make? And it's a little bit of a letdown, which is probably why we don't get a whole lot of articles written yeah. around it, which is <laughs> nothing was wrong. This was a thoughtful transition and part of our multi-year strategy. And two, we're, we'd like to be disruptors in a positive way where we can help solve for RAA needs or we can help solve for other advisor needs um, or, or liquidation needs. But we're not going to be disruptive. And I, I think that's that's an important distinction. So um, as you look at the rest of 23, as we pointed out, for the last couple of years, we really invested heavily into talent and a certain uh, certain capabilities in our business that are that um, are new to us. One being our new investment management platform we call WellSuite, uh, the equity, alignment and equity program, which was a new program for us, and certain um, people components of our business and how we engage differently with, with advisors to help them think through growth and legacy planning and practice management, some of those things. What I'm, what I'm encouraging the team to do, oh, and as Pat pointed out, we introduced new accounting procedures mm-hmm. and some of the, some of the not so sexy that operational. So exciting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. You, you look at some of the not so sexy operational components or uh, financial components of how we run the business. It's just us running a really good business. If we didn't do those things, advisors would feel and experience that on a negative scale or negative basis. Since we are doing those things and they don't experience those, we're okay with that. But just it, it takes a lot of effort and energy and is part of our foundation. So because we've invested in a lot of those things over the last couple of years, for 23, we're very much just focused on the foundational aspects of getting into really quality execution of those. So you may not, you may see us introduce a piece of technology or you may see us introduce a, an incremental uh, element of a program that we already have in market, but we're not looking to make a lot of big splashes or a lot of, uh, we don't have to over-innovate to be relevant in this business and right. competitive in this business. That said, we can't rest on that because that's exactly what some of these other RAAs that that um, are well-meaning uh, are challenged with right now, that the model 10 years ago is the model today. And yeah. You know, this business, it, it's like this business is becoming more like technology where it Innovation or expectations seem to double every year or whatever that is, whatever the technology uh, stat is on that. So 20, call it 24 to 26, we've got pegged as really maximizing value. And that's us using the foundational aspects of the business, focused on execution really, really well, and using that to respond to the evolving recruiting landscape, the evolving M&A landscape, evolving advisor needs. And that's making sure that we are indispensable we are interdependent and we're no we're not just a vendor advisor relationship we love to rest on the community aspect it really is what makes us special we'll continue to build on that becomes uh incredibly important as we continue to get bigger we're not going to lose sight of that but we we will have to continue to increase and maximize value of the firm so we get to some point in the future when we think about multi-year and we know that advisor practices are going to Turnover, so to speak, for lack of a better term. Yeah. There will be succession in place. We have to focus on making sure we have Gen 2 equipped. We're helping advisors equip Gen 2. We have to make sure that they have a plan in place. We know and we see the trends that a lot of those advisors are going to expect something different than Gen 1. We'll refer to them as. So maybe they don't want to be in the real estate business. Maybe they don't want to do their own marketing. Maybe they don't want to do their own portfolio management. So as we invest ahead, you'll see our model 
uh, be augmented by, I don't want to say evolve or shift, be augmented by other types of affiliation that help advisors solve for those needs. So when the current generation of advisor solves for that, maybe seeking liquidity or an exit, we don't have a Gen 2 that's sitting there going, well, this doesn't meet my expectations, whether that's the Gen 2 investor or the Gen 2 advisor. So a lot of what we're doing now is thinking through incremental business models that can satisfy that without um, without diminishing our core, which is wildly independent advisors who need us for certain infrastructure, but really do want to manage things on a local basis. And, and I, we don't want to become all things to all people, Frank, but I think we can accomplish both of those really, really well. If you need fully supported, if you want to be wildly independent or some combination in between, that's the private advisor group now as we evolve and certainly where we're going to be in the future. Yeah, I was going to, my next question was really going to be, and Pat, you can, if you want to elaborate on that piece, but the next question was like, what types of advisors are you seeking? And, and really more importantly, which types of advisors that affiliate with you do the best? Mm -hmm. You know, we're looking for the advisors, the individual advisors who are, you know, um, RIA advisory focused, who are doing the right thing for their clients. Um, the typical old uh, brokerage advisor, I think they're they're extinct. They're they're no longer. Uh, uh, nobody kind of wants them. They're around. They just they're, don't know they're extinct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. They're um, walking around going, "Where's everybody?" Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if you have fifty million of advisory, you know, you're absolutely somebody to talk to. And then um, existing RIAs, existing OSJs, those are firms that we would talk to all day long. It's really hard. I've done this for twenty six years. It is really hard to run an RIA to be an OSJ. We can do it. You can offload that to us. If you're a hundred million or you're a billion dollar RAA or OSJ, we should be talking to you. We just had a conversation, not not us, but someone from my team had a conversation today with a wirehouse advisor. I think he's got uh, a couple hundred million dollars in AUM, right? And he wants to talk to us about helping him and his two partners, you know, build their own RAA, right? like start from scratch, right? Um, you and I chuckle right? because we both know where that's going. But how does how does private advisor group solve for that for someone like him or him or her? We'll say him. But. Yep. So Pat's statement of having started one and all the, all the pain and suffering, uh, <laughs> Don't <experienced>. do it. <laughs> um, listen, I, you, you see all the same data we see, uh, RAs continue to start up, but we are also seeing, uh, large RAs getting larger through consolidation through M and a, um, you know, I was at an interesting event a couple of weeks ago with some of the top RAA CEOs and, and still they invited me to the, <laughs> uh, to the event, but there are going to be, uh, the prediction is, and this is McKenzie data. The prediction is, is that there will be trillion dollar RAAs in the future and multiple trillion dollar RAAs. So what they're predicting the continued shift towards that space, the con the continued shift towards consolidation in that space. Yet we still see these start up every day. And, and so going back to the statements we made earlier, we, we appreciate why people would want to do that um, because we did that and we support that. But we also have a um, very, we have a front row seat and an understanding why people should think through the actual reason that they want to do that. If they want to do that for local identity, they want to do that for um, flexibility and, and, how they um, create models or who they pick for technology partners or who they pick for custodian partners or broker-dealer partners. If we can, I know we can, we can solve for all of those things in a way, given our scale, that offers them all the flexibility that they're looking to, to have, all the local identity that they want to accomplish. 
but not how to go do that on their own. I know there's a lot of providers out there that will help jumpstart RAAs um, without being too critical of that space. I, I think in a lot of cases, we're unknowingly putting people in harm's way, um, whether it's business risk or reputation risk or regula- regulatory risk, um, or you're just not able to uh, staff or invest or uh, develop relationships at the scale where it it pays off. If we're able to help them have that same experience, but to do it for the same or better economics, that's the conversation that we want to have with people. And it's not to discourage them from wanting to to have that dream of having their own thing coming from a wirehouse or wherever they're coming from where, where they don't. It's to enable them to have that same experience, but not in a way that puts them in harm's way. And I think we can accomplish that. I know the, we can accomplish that. The other reason uh, advisors want their own RIA is they're being told that they'll be able to monetize yeah. it at a higher level. And the fact is, it's not the case. But if they come join us, I know it sounds self-serving. That's okay. Don't, don't do this that. Is our sales pitch. It's but, okay. That's why we're here. But, <laughs> but you know, if they come join us, they're they're uh, latching on to an institutional pricing where when they mm-hmm. can monetize, they can monetize at our level, not at their level. Yeah. So they can take care of all the headaches, get rid of all the headaches that Frank just talked about and get a higher multiple for their firm when they want to sell it. Yep. Well, listen, that was a lot to cover. Um, I think that if, uh, for the, for the listeners, I know I, what I was thinking about I'm, as I'm processing all the stuff that you're saying is you're essentially creating an unfair advantage for, for, for private advisor group and for the advisors that are at your firm or want to, are considering coming to your firm. If you're an RIA and you think about how to grow your company, how to grow your business, an affiliation with private advisor group creating an unfair advantage, um, uh, you know, for for advisors that are listening, for RIAs that are considering a consolidation, for all the things above, what's the best way to uh, get in contact with you all if they're interested? This sounds interesting. I want to learn more about this merchant relationship. Where where does a listener go from here now? We're a very approachable firm, uh, so anyone will all be involved in the process at some point, but I think the best starting point would be to go to our website, privateadvisorgroup.com. Under our talent page, you'll see Vern Marble, who heads our recruiting team, um, who can initiate any conversation with advisors around just what they're looking to do, what they're looking to accomplish, equity program or not, right? It's not, um, it's a completely voluntary program, but uh, happy to have that conversation with them and, um, you know, see if we can help out. Or they can call Elite Consulting, Frank. There you go. Uh, that's what I was waiting yeah. for. <laughs> that was a trick question. Uh, don't forget. That's I was a, about that's, to say it. That's okay. As my listeners always know, you, you can call me at 856-316-4651. Uh, you can check out our page at EliteConsultingPartners.com, and uh, we'll definitely connect you um, with, with Vern and, and really make sure there's a tremendous opportunity out here. So for my listeners, thanks for listening. Um, this was an important conversation, uh, which is why it usually w- it goes a little bit longer. Uh, first time I've ever done three people in, in a podcast <laughs> studio before. So we, we figured that one out. It all went really well. We all great. kept our jackets on. Um, so this was great. But thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for spending the time with my team today. Yeah. Really educational, really informative. I think you um, you sort of blew them away with the opportunity. So um, and this call, and for those of you listening, don't forget to check us out on our podcast where you can see all three of us. Here uh, looks 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 for like a better or worse good, for better yeah. or worse. It's a pretty good group. So anyway, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, thanks Frank. Frank. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank Larosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com 
slash podcasts. <laughs>